You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane. Since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast. Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 537 for November 18th, 2020. On today's show, drummer and educator Dr. Colleen Clark. This show exists because listeners become members. Members will be receiving this week a track of the week from Mike Baguetta. Members at, at all levels get that. At $10 a month, you get the track of the week each week, plus you get an extra monthly bonus episode as well. You can get in on the action by going to thejazzsession.com slash join. Just a note about programming. Uh, as you probably know, if you've listened to this show before, or if you follow me on social media, in two weeks, actually less than two weeks now as you're hearing this, I will be moving into a van and heading east, uh, traveling around uh, initially to see kind of family around the holidays and then uh, continuing to live in the van for the foreseeable future. And I'm not exactly sure where yet. I was thinking about Massachusetts, where it's where I'm from initially, but I might go somewhere warmer during the winter months uh, down south and the southeast and then uh, come back up. In any case, uh, that's what I'll be doing. And uh, my goal is to keep putting out shows during all that time, you know, kind of the initial travel time. Obviously, I'm going to keep putting out shows over the long haul because that's a big part of the way I'm going to make my living. But uh, I there may be just a little bit of erratic posting. Like, for example, there was no show last week because I, I just could not get things together with everything that's going on right now as I prepare to leave. Uh, so I, I hope you'll forgive me if uh, there's maybe a week or two where there's a rerun, which is what I should have done last week and just didn't think about it. Uh, I will be back on a regular schedule as, as fast as possible, and there may be no interruption at all, but just wanted to prepare you for that. A couple shows back, my guest was Allegra Levy, and on her new record, Colleen Clark is the drummer. And I really dug her drumming on that record and the things that Allegra had to say about her, so I thought we'd hear from Colleen herself. I really enjoy her playing Monk's music. Here's an example of that. Dr. Colleen Clark, welcome to the Jazz Session. Thank you so much, Jason. I appreciate it. I'm really glad you're here. You you came up in a previous episode because you play drums on uh, Allegra Levy's most recent record, Lose My Number. And uh, that was um, not my introduction to your existence, but it was uh, the, the most repeatedly I had listened to your playing. And I really liked what I heard. And then when Allegra was talking about you, I, th I thought, oh, this is someone I would like to get to know and let our listeners get to know. So I'm glad you're here. And I want to start out, as people will know, as I introduced you, that um, I referred to you as Dr. Clark. And you actually have the, the cool claim to being the first person... Uh, the first woman, I should say, to pursue uh, 
uh, DMA, a, a doctorate in uh, music and jazz performance at the University of North Texas. And obviously, since I called you doctor, you not only pursued it, but <laughs> achieved it, which is which is pretty amazing. That's true. I, I pursued and I persisted and I made it. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm the first woman to, to fin- finish the uh, the doctoral degree at the University of North Texas. Doctoral degree in performance, but specialty in, in jazz studies. Uh, and I have a related field specialty in ethnomusicology. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty crazy that it's already done. I, I kind of I went da- down there in 2016 and came home in 2019. And those three years kind of flew by and and here I am. (laughs) I'm guessing like most people who end up with a doctorate, that means you spent a significant portion of your time on this earth going to school, right? That's a good assumption. I did the the undergraduate thing at Ithaca College up in upstate New York. I was really happy that I, I got a double degree in music education and classical percussion performance because it's come up recently a lot, actually, you know, questions about um, my music education background, and it's really it really started there, um, and I'm really proud to say that I went there. And then I went straight to my graduate degree at SUNY Purchase, where I, I had the pleasure of studying with um, John Riley and John Faddis, uh, which was really just phenomenal. And then I took I moved to, into New York City in 2012, so I was there 2012 to 2016. Now I'm trying to go backwards. Yeah, 2016. And then, uh, then I received word that uh, Ed Sof and uh, John Murphy down at North Texas were um, interested in me becoming a, uh, you know, a teaching fellow, which was a really neat thing and quite an honor. And so I, I went down there, and then I came back home in, in 2019, and, and here we are in 2020. How did the folks at the uh, University of North Texas know you existed to be interested in you becoming a teaching fellow? It's pretty interesting. When I was uh, younger, I was really lucky. My uh, my father was always so uh, supportive, both my parents, of course, but my father in particular was so supportive of my, my music career that um, in ninth grade, this is crazy, um, or no, it was eighth grade. It, it was around that time period. Um, I, I found out, you know, I was on the internet and I found <clears throat> that the University of North Texas had these uh, North Texas jazz camps. So I think I was like 13, 12 or 13. And I said, Dad, I'm really interested in this. I, I want to learn and grow. And, and I really want to study with, the, with, with Ed Sof, uh, who was the, uh, the uh, now he's Professor Emeritus, um, uh, but the drum set teacher there. And he said, OK, I'll take you. And he took me. <laughs> amazing and so I had met Ed Sof um that like 
so long ago. Um, and he and I kept kept in touch over the years. He was always so kind and supportive. Um, I remember I sent him my 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 record uh, introducing Colin Clark, and I it was just it was so neat to to get just be in touch and and get encouraging emails from him. And and I said I wrote him before I applied to North Texas. I said Ed, I want to finally get some time with you, you know, in, in the, um, in the studio, just, just learn. And, and he said, well, um, you know, I'm retiring next year, but if you come this year, at least we'll get a year. And I said, absolutely. <laughs> and then it so happened that, you know, the, the research element of that program was so strong. And that was, um, uh, the second person I mentioned, uh, Dr. John Murphy, um, I said, I gotta, I gotta come study with, with these, with these people, because, um, not only is my playing going to improve and I'm going to learn about the drum set, but I'm going to learn how to research and I'm going to, I'm going to become, you know, uh, really invested in both of those things as they can both work to my benefit in becoming a, a better, um, not only a better player, but a better teacher, a better educator, a better advocate for our jazz music, you know? And uh, in your research, at least the research that applied to your dissertation, you looked into uh, the jazz ride cymbal pattern and its its history. Will you tell me about that? I was really curious in trying to find out how what we now know, what we call the ride ride cymbal pattern, the you know the ding ding ding, ding um, uh, where that was coming from um, inside of our music. So if if I had it would, it would have been beyond my research scope uh, to investigate where it's coming from in the world, although, um, of course, it's got uh, West African roots. Um, but my, my curiosity was in jazz itself, um, where were drummers putting it earlier on, literally, which surfaces, and then how it became a kind of used, you know, here and there, and slowly really overtakes our music. Right, it's in, and in the swinger in particular, the ride cymbal pattern is what's driving not only what the drummers are playing, but you know how composers and arrangers are writing for the band as well. And so, uh, so yeah, I, I took a couple years to to try to figure that out. And um, as drummers, we're I think uh, especially like in New York, all the drummers that have been able to be around for now a long time. We've all been curious about this and I wanted to, to investigate it properly, you know? And so, um, so yeah, that's what I did. And it, it, it was such a blast and it's still such a blast. So many people are even non drummers are so interested in this because it's not only talking about, you know, an important rhythm in our music, but I really made sure to, to go through and, and figure out, different band leaders and different drummers that were playing for specific band leaders to see if they also had some influence on it as well and try to intertwine that with a geographic narrative along with the musical analysis portion of it as well. I'm 
It was interesting to me when I watched your uh, doctoral recital because I've listened. In fact, I grew up listening to big band music because of my grandfather. That was the first music I was ever introduced to. But I haven't. I haven't watched a lot of big band drummers perform. I mean, obviously, because I was born in the 70s and there wasn't all that much opportunity to do that by that <laughs> point. So when I was watching your recital, and particularly when you were playing swing era massive hits, like, you know, in the mood and stuff like that, you ha- you're sitting at what I would consider a fairly standard full drum set, multiple cymbals, multiple toms, snare, bass, drum, hi-hat. But you're essentially almost always just over on the left-hand side, like with a hi-hat snare and the bass drum. And it's so it's so stripped down that you could imagine you kind of driving that entire band with just those three things almost, which I was really interested in as I as I watched to see how much it was possible to to push the band along using, quote unquote, so little in terms of drum resources. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's really interesting because um, going through that process, of preparing it so so for uh, for the listeners, I, I I felt that it was important to not only have a document of research, but to also share it with my students and colleagues by performing it. And so what I did is is I I chose iconic tunes from my research and put together a band uh, of mostly my students, which was also just such a wonderful experience. Like you're saying, Jason, it was it was not only an experience for me teaching, but also playing it and just making myself play pattern or portions of it. Or, you know, it depended on the tune, of course, but in the mood, you know, you play pattern and backbeat. And that's pretty much it, right? It's really a reminder of what is my job? What is this gig? What am I on, right? What, what gig am I, what bandstand am I on? And can I do my job to the best of my ability with the knowledge that I've gained and but also enjoy it and have my own personal take on it? And that was such a neat experience for me and my students to go through together, you know. And you're right. (laughs) You know, you watch some of those videos and I am really hanging on the left side. I'm on the hi hat or whatever it may be. And I'm really not, you know, when I did the presentation, I'm really not on the ride symbol until later down the, the program for sure. But again, it, it's just this reminder of if you learn the history, you can not only better yourself and your own playing, but you can reach more people, get more people curious about it, get it, get them interested in it and say, OK, guys, check this out. And then when they do, they can completely expand their own playing, you know. And so that was that's, that was also like the, the educational element that I enjoyed by doing that because my, excuse me, my, um, my students too were just so hungry and curious to learn about earlier jazz in the academic setting. So that was a really, it was a really fun time. Let's take a quick break from the interview to talk about membership. As I mentioned, I'll be moving into a van and traveling around, and my main sources of income are coming from the jazz session and from my vanarchism 
project, which uh, you can support, or you can support the former of those, by going to thejazzsession.com slash join. Five or ten bucks a month gets you early access to the shows, it gets you uh, bonus shows every week, and at ten dollar a month, also an additional bonus monthly episode. So please do consider becoming a member. It is how I am going to survive when I'm on the road, and I greatly appreciate your help. Thanks so much. Now back to the show. It strikes me that there are some parallels to playing that early uh, swing music with, and I guess maybe this makes sense given that you also are a classically trained percussionist, but with a classical approach to repertoire where you're sticking much more closely to the the composer or the previous player, the foundational player's uh, rhythmic patterns and use of the drum set, as opposed to, you know, I watched a bunch and obviously listened also to a bunch of your own music. And, you know, you are you are playing much more in what I would consider a, you know, kind of a contemporary modern style, you know, using the whole drum set, using lots of different colors from the entire available range of drums. So it does seem like there's almost like a, a bit of like a classical repertoire approach to to playing some of that older music. Feel free to to push back against that. Honestly, I haven't really thought of it like that personally. Now I'm thinking. <laughs> you made me think, Jason, which is good. <laughs> uh, I think the more we learn and the more we know, the more careful we are with what we're performing or teaching or whatever. It, and it, this could be any craft or any, any specialty outside of music, too, of course. I think a general assumption that can be a little dangerous when we're, when we're comparing classical music and actually let me stop there. When we're just talking about classical music, because classical musicians have the frame framework of the previously composed note by note, you know, different directions, tempos, dynamics, articulations, et cetera, et cetera, doesn't mean they can't be creative. And quite frankly, I think it's, it's such a great thing to think about. Some of my favorite musicians are, are, are classical musicians, um, and it's coming from their interpretation of the written note. I think that we assume that classical musicians and classic, performing classical music associated with a certain strictness. I disagree. I think there is a lot of freedom when we have parameters. Quite frankly, when we learn the rules is when we can really, uh, you know, open ourselves up, Right. When we know what the parameters are, we can just dive in from there. I was talking to a student recently. The student was doing an assignment of an, uh, it was like an analysis assignment of a certain era. He, he and I were talking and, and I reminded him, 
you know, guys like Monk didn't just start as being Monk. Monk was a brilliant stride pianist, you know. Ornette Coleman was a was a brilliant bebop player. And so I think that it's only going to strengthen our connection to the music, um, the understanding of the history, and how we can really create a dialogue between the history and the present, right? So if we cre- create this dialogic narrative, I think it's only going to benefit everyone more and further the music to even greater arenas than we could have ever imagined. I'm glad you mentioned Monk in that answer because uh, that you've provided me a great segue, which is I really enjoyed um, your playing on the Monk tunes that I checked out. And I think one of the things I really liked about it was how much kind of rhythmic uh, diversity and excitement there is in the Monk parts, especially like you and a piano player and the it, it's not. Uh, it's not given from any one moment to the next, like who's going to be holding down the the main rhythmic thrust or who's going to be providing uh, the accents or finding new places to push the song, which, um, first of all, I think Monk is probably pretty well suited to. But also, I, I think really shows a lot of creativity uh, in your drumming. So will you, will you talk a little bit about playing Monk? Growing up and to this day, I, if, if I'm going to choose a couple of artists that I'm I feel really connected with, and, and this is just from um, the amount of time that I've spent listening to them because of my upbringing and, and other other things, but and taste. But Monk is one of them, and Mingus is the other one. If we're talking about Monk, I'm happy that you brought this up because I actually did a, a research project about, I was interested in the different and the many Monk drummers, right, and the drummers that play the Monk. And I was really curious about the playing relationship between uh, real time, you know, Monk versus uh, Frankie Dunlop versus Ben Riley versus Art Blakey versus Shadow Wilson, whomever it may be, right? It comes down to patient, deep, I like to call it deep listening, where you rewind it a hundred times to hear five seconds to really figure out what's going on. You know, I've done that a lot with Monk. I was online recently. And I think it was it was Dan Weiss was uh, putting up a video, a practice video of uh, Frankie, Frankie Dunlop-isms. And I, I, I wrote on, on the tweet, man, this is, Frankie Dunlop is the monk drummer. And, and he, he's like, I said something like agreed, you know. And I think that for whatever reason, I just feel really uh, at home with monk. I feel like at home with, with Frankie Dunlop and the, the style and how he approaches the playing. 
monk music, monk's music, um, I've been playing since I was little, little kid. For whatever reason, like you said, I just ha- I feel a great freedom and flexibility in the music where we can really have the utmost interaction with really deep listening. It's such a special music, deeply rooted in the blues. My one thing that I always am telling my students is if you're not listening, you're, you're not playing your part. The thing with monks music is you're, you're so capable. It's so, you're so able to listen and play simultaneously. It's also just a, a love. I love the music. I love having this dialogue with present day artists and we can name so many of them, right? I, I mean, pianists, obviously Jason Moran and, and, um, Beasley, but you know, everybody, I feel like what a neat music to, to again, have this dialogic narrative, narrative, maybe, you know, have this uh, continue, continue on, maybe add digital aspects, whatever it is. Monk's music is, is just wide open like that. So yeah, I, I'm long, long winded answer short. <laughs> um, it's, it's some of my favorite music to play. Um, I can express myself. Um, I, I feel at home with that town hall record. I love the history behind it. And that's why I did my, my Baya arrangement in, in that similar style where I took, you know, I took a, a monk solo and I arranged it for the same orchestration of, of the monk at town hall uh, band. Um, right now above my desk, I have that famous photograph of the rehearsal of monk at town hall where where monks at the piano, um, leaning back and everybody's look, look, looking at him and, you know, ATs behind him with just a bass drum and a snare drum and a and right cymbal. I mean, it's just, I don't know, it's, it's, it's part of me. So I'm really happy that you, 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 you know, had joyous or happy feelings while you were, while you were listening to that, because that's really the point. <laughs> You know, thinking back to uh, you, your answers a few minutes ago about freedom inside parameters, at least in my opinion, I find that it's it's unsurprising, given that you think that way, that Mingus and Monk would appeal to you because they both seem to me like composers who had very particular parameters for their music, uh, harmonically, rhythmically. They wrote music that was even though we've heard it now performed in a million different ways, they wrote music that was that had very specific performance ideas behind it. And inside that world then allowed for a lot of creative freedom on the part of the people who played that, that music. I wonder if you, if you see any truth to that idea there. 
Absolutely. It's funny. I mean, um, I started my day off listening to Mingus Dynasty on, on repeat. I don't know. It's just Mingus Mondays, you know, like jazz standard <laughs> Mingus Mondays. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Absolutely. Uh, completely. And even on that, that Mingus Dynasty record, uh, he plays Ellington. And so I can also trace it further back to Ellington as a big influence. Um, and even before that, for me, of course, the great Fletcher Henderson. Now, different different eras, right? Different styles. But again, um, lots of creativity can be made, you know, of course, currently, but also was made on so many of those charts by all of those folks, right? And it's, again, a reminder to keep going backwards to see, you know, who was influencing that person you really, you know, you really feel a kinship with, right? Um, and Ellington, um, it's probably overstated by a lot of us. We could always give more love to, to, to Ellington, you know? Um, and definitely that's another composer and, and player that provides that framework for the stars to rise, right? I mean, look at the band, how many countless soloists grew and became famous in that band. A good composer, a good band leader, a good bandmate, a good player is someone who supports and provides a, a platform of either comfort or, or um, uncomfortability or for the player so that they can shine their brightest, right? I, I really do think that in that whole lineage and vein of the folks that, that um, inspire me, um, that's a really, that's a key factor is their own positivity and their, their ability to bring out greatness. I pride myself in that. I, I, I like to call myself a coach instead of a teacher because especially when I'm in front of a band, it's my job to help them realize how good they are so they can embrace it and then enjoy it. Right. Of course I, I coach them. I, I get them ready. You know um, it's like, you know, we, we got to get the heart strong. We got to get the endurance, whatever it is. We got to get the muscle, you know, whatever it is. It's the same, it's the same concept um, with my, with, you know, being in front of a band, teaching a research class, whatever it is. We're sharpening all of the tools. So, so everything in the toolkit, the toolbox is ready. Again, it really comes from this, the, the derivative is I inspired by the ones that are able to bring out the best in people. And that's something that I, once we get back to school in person, I can't wait to start doing again. <laughs> One more quick break to thank the folks who make the Jazz Session possible, starting with you, the members who support it, and also the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music, and Dave Rabel for the logo. Chuck Ingersoll is the voice of the intro. You can hire him at hearchucknow.com. Follow the Jazz Session on Twitter at jazzsesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H, and on Instagram at the Jazz Session. Take a second right now to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get it. And if you'd like to keep up to date on my podcast, my travel, my poetry, and more, you can subscribe to my newsletter. Just go to thejazzsession.com and click on the newsletter link. Now, back to the episode.
Well, once again, you have uh, given me a perfect segue, which is to talk about your work as an educator or coach. Uh, and uh, I do like the idea of everybody coming in and calling you Coach Clark. That has a that has a cool uh, a cool ring to it. Um, but will you talk about uh, what you're doing as an educator these days, and and maybe kind of what your your focus is, uh, maybe philosophically or uh, you know in terms of how what you're trying to impart to students. So I teach at two universities. I teach at the University of North Texas, where um, I'm teaching uh, a an undergraduate class, a jazz history class. I'm teaching a graduate research course where we talk jazz style styles and analysis. Um, and then I teach a doctoral seminar. We're of course always learning about jazz discourse, but I'm I'm really helping them start their their dissertation process. I've got you know they're all kind of in a different area um, or a different spot. Um, so I'm helping them with that. And then I, I'm in New York. I teach at um, City University of New York's Borough Manhattan Community College. So I've got community college students that are just getting introduced to music, which is so exciting and so much fun. And then I teach a Western music history course to just the core non, non-music majors. And I said all that in detail so that folks can understand that teaching is exciting. It's ever-changing. No matter what you're teaching, you know, going back to what I said before, as long as you are letting the students realize their own ability, their own greatness, and just helping them out, that's what you're there for. Um, One of my mentors uh, at North Texas always tells me this story just to remind me, you know, if you have a student that is just excelling and you think to yourself, what do I do? How do I help the student? A lot of the times you got to get out of their way. You know, you got to let them figure it out. Let them be. And I really benefited from having really legendary, and I'm going to say legendary teachers in my life. Of course, Ed Soph was one of them. Uh, Al Pack was the timpanist for the Hartford Symphony for 50 years, but he was also the head of the percussion department at the Hart School. I'm, I'm from Connecticut originally, so I took private lessons with him when I was little. Gordon Stout, one of the most prolific marimba players and composers to have ever lived. Then, of course, John Riley. And all of those teachers have you know, a similar approach. And that is, I'm going to give you the material that you need, and then it's up to you to figure it out. I will help you figure out technique. I'll help you figure out whatever you need. But it's really on the shoulders of the student to want to learn, you know, and to want to practice and to get hungry. Again, I'm so lucky to have had and still have such wonderful, supportive, beautiful human beings, all of them, uh, except uh, Mr. Leepak has pa- since passed, but um, all of them are still always there for me, always. And that is one of the biggest takeaways. Are you there for your students? You know, can they rely on you? If you don't know the answer to something, tell them it's okay. You know, let's figure it out together. And again, I just, I'm, I'm making it seem, uh, you know, lighthearted, but this is really deep, important stuff. A lot of folks that know me know that I'm a huge, huge basketball fan. And my, my, of course, being from Connecticut, the basketball capital of the world, you know, Gina Oriema is the coach of the UConn women's basketball team, been there for ages. I watch videos of him coaching, you know, to learn how I can be a better leader. You know, I watch videos of him speaking. I, and, and, and this is a, a lot of coaches, of course, um, um, you know, there's a new Netflix documentary. Uh, I think it's called The Playbook. 
And they got Patrick in there, Serena Williams' coach. He's got an episode. Dawn Staley from the University of South Carolina, women's basketball. She's got an episode. Jose Mourinho from Tottenham, but of course, Chelsea. And, you know, watch those as educators and learners. We're all learners, right? Watch those. Because if you learn how to be a coach, you can help yourself, even if you're not a teacher, right? You can help yourself figure out how to be better, how to learn right? How to challenge yourself, how to inspire yourself. That's kind of my general philosophy. It's very sports oriented, but I think that music and sports is very related. Bottom line, both music and sports inspire people to be better and to be happy. And that should be the overall goal, right? The overall takeaway. Well, we are drawing to a close, but before we do that, can you tell me about what's coming up for you? Yeah, thank you so much for asking that, Jason. So, as you know, everyone is staying at home, staying safe. So, a lot of our, you know, live gigs and festivals have been pushed back, um, which is it is what it is. But it's opened up a new set of opportunities for a lot of us. Uh, I just made a record at home, not my own, but someone else's, and it's it's really exciting. And and when that's out, and when I'm allowed to say anything, I will do that. I'm actually working on a new project of my own, a new band that I'm really excited about. It's called CC and the Adelitas, and it's going to be highlighting different areas of research of mine, of course. It's going to be really exciting, you know, brand new take on a lot of music that a lot of people know. I'm going to be merging some different cultures. Uh, you know, jazz is really a music without borders, and especially in our world today, right? Um, we're so connected. So why don't we learn about each other's cultures and try to uh, learn from each other and celebrate each other? So CC and the Adelitas will be coming soon, um, and I'm really, really excited about that. So uh, if anyone is curious about that, um, they can reach out to me, and I will uh, happily oblige and let you know what's going on. Well, that is super exciting, and uh, of course, we'll pass on that information to uh, the listeners as well when that comes out. My guest has been Dr. Colleen Clark, educator, drummer, basketball nerd, and those are all very cool things to be. Thank you so much for uh, being here on the show. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Oh, likewise, Jason. I wish you well. You got to have a safe trip. You know, enjoy yourself, and uh, I can't wait to talk to you again soon.
thanks to this week's guest, Dr. Colleen Clark. If you value what you just heard, become a member for 5 or $10 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. And come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.